0: The most interesting radio show on planet Earth. The Weekend Variety Wireless. On Radio Live. Outsiders with Jared Hindmarsh. This week, the notorious Captain Hayes, otherwise known as William Hayes, otherwise known as Bully Hayes, from the 19th century. And this is really... We'd, we'd cover this anyway, but it just happens to be in the wake of a new book, published 2016, The Remarkable True Story of William Bully Hayes' Pirate of the Pacific by Joan Druitt. And she's a great writer on this sort of thing, isn't she, Jared? Oh, she's absolutely brilliant. 25 books to her credit. This one's exceptional.
1: It's been a brilliant read. The Notorious Captain Hayes. 18 chapters, and each one of them's named after his um, definitive ships that he owned and commanded. And and each one, just a fabulous chapter about his scoundrelous life. There's also an epilogue chapter about this creation of his legend by newspapers and editors around the world. to read it if you've had any interest in bully hayes and his sort of reputation goes right around the pacific just her amazing research she really debunks a whole lot of the myths but she also uncovers a whole lot more it's a really reputable read the first real characterization of you if it's a, it's a real credit to her and I, i'll recommend it to anyone one of the best books i've read for a long time actually but you know the pacific has has always had a colourful stories full of romance with runaways and mutineers but unlike all the uh, other seas it sort of didn't have a pirate of course well that was until Captain William Henry Hayes came along and the old America had Captain Kidd and, and, and the Caribbean, I'm just sort of going through the pirates, had Captain Morgan, didn't it? The Caribbean, the Mediterranean had Barbarossa and, and the Atlantic had Blackbeard but really the Pacific, they've been typified by these sort of whalers and sealers and explorers but Captain Hayes or Bully Hayes as he really became known because of the terrible way he treated his crew but he was a total scoundrel and uh, the newspaper stories followed him wherever he went. I was just looking at one Honolulu paper from 1859, front page story, The History of a Scoundrel. He sold newspapers without a doubt. People had an
0: absolute fascination. Yeah, it's surprising to me that we haven't had more of his type of character being such a maritime nation. Yeah, that's true, I think because with him, he just carried it on for
1: the whole of his life. He didn't even make 50 years. He didn't even have a quiet period, Graham. He just went from one scoundrelous adventure to another. It was quite incredible. There would always be the sort of odd rip-off with ships and people um, not paying creditors, but he made a career out of it. He really did. And for years he followed a course of plunder and he'd sort of steal entire cargoes, usually on credit, and, and sometimes he'd even run away with ships labelled a thief and a pirate and a kidnapper, but no matter how widely rehashed, the public just couldn't get enough of him. The papers turned him into an iconic figure, the last of the buccaneers, and I think that's probably more of a true description of him than a pirate, if you like. Well, what's the difference between a buccaneer and a pirate? Well, a pirate is usually associated with extreme violence, and a bit like the Vikings, if you like, just descending down on people. But the Buccaneers, they were a little bit more skillful about it. He was more of a commercial scoundrel than anything else, but he certainly let a lot of people down. He was one of these characters that had two sides to him. A lot of people liked him and trusted him, and he could carry on this fraud everywhere. Where he went, you know, and there were a lot of people back then who weren't even sure what he exactly looked like. But he had a tremendous presence to him. He's described as well-built man, uh, possibly up to six feet four. He he was well over six foot anyway. He had a tremendous physique, and he had an aquiline nose and penetrating blue eyes. Some people even called him a mesmerizer, and he had a sort of reddy brown hair that he always wore long. So he looked the part as well. He looked like a pirate. Did he have a wooden leg, an eye patch, and a parrot? No way. He was, a far, he, he was far more mobile than that. But you couldn't beat him in a fight or anything, you know. And because uh, the other thing that everyone is sure of is he absolutely loved a woman. And he had several wives on shore, and he kept a constant stream of what they called back then with brown girls on board wherever he went. And there was no doubting that he had a charm and charisma. You know, Interestingly, he had a very good baritone voice. He participated in quite a few shows, actually, in his career. He was a consummate actor, and he was very persuasive in the way he swindled people, often described as generous and kind-hearted to everyone except those he robbed. He used to brag about being a buccaneer, and and as I said, he kind of dressed one, but he, he never actually stormed another ship carrying a knife in his teeth. He was just a colourful crook and ships were his mode of transport. And he never paid his bills. Right into the 20th century, the number of obituaries that mention an association with Hayes, like they had met him once or something like this, it was like a tick against your name. And it was even in New Zealand right up into the 1920s, you know, these old guys, seamen that were die it would often be said in the first sentence that met Bully Hayes. It was an indicator of how many people came across him. He rarely got around this guy. Where did he come from? What was his background? Sort of a murky past. His mother's unknown, but but his father um, was a bargee, probably first of all, on the Great Lakes in America. Bully Hayes, or, or William Henry Hayes, he was born in Cleveland, Ohio, in about 1828 or possibly 1829, Um, as I said his mother was unknown but his father's actually described in in nearly every biography as a hotel proprietor now uh, more correctly he ran a grog shop and this is where um, William Hayes was raised and in a very colourful atmosphere you know there was brawling, there was gambling there was illegal alcohol sales and he was trotting around there as a kid the whole time. This is the sort of environment he grew up. He was known to have run away from home at a relatively early age and he got a job on the ships ploughing the Great Lakes. He was just natural at sea, there was no doubt about it. He, He loved ships and he loved that sort of way of life.
0: Yeah and although the Great Lakes are lakes, they can get big seas. Everyone knows the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald.
1: Oh, that's right. And, uh, you know, it was equivalent to being in the, on the Atlantic sometimes, some of those lakes, yeah. He certainly learned his seamanship there, and he, it's said that he joined the U.S. Navy at a relatively early age, possibly around 16 or 17, and he excelled without a doubt. He went straight up the ranks, and, and he showed considerable initiative, so much so that he got posted to China Station. Now, this was the uh, first American, naval base off China actually in the mouth of the Yangtze River. Um, They set it up in 1800 actually. I just researched it. 1800 uh, and it lasted until 1898 but anyway he was stationed there and he got put in charge of a small command boat as master and commander, but he, he uh, ended up getting court-martialed in 1846. Now, this was a bit of a fuzzy incident, but he appears to have hanged 25 Chinese pirates that he arrested. Now, he didn't even give them a trial, uh, and uh, quite amazingly, he got off by quitting in disgrace. So
0: he left the U.S. Navy. That's an uh, an enormous thing, hanging 25 Chinese seamen, right? their job was to protect obviously American
1: trade they also worked in conjunction with the British Navy and their job was to track down any pirates that had interfered with um, American shipping he took it upon himself to arrest these pirates on a boat that they thought they were probably just getting arrested but he immediately ordered their hanging he just didn't give a stuff but it was incredible that he just got off by quitting with a disgraceful discharge he then joined the. The Imperial Chinese Navy as a mercenary. They were obviously impressed that he'd terminated these guys and he was given the job of chasing pirates around and he had just the sort of qualities that they wanted. His orders were always to hunt down these pirates but he also um, solicited quite a bit of protection money so he was actually getting not only his salary, Graham, but he was squirreling away protection money as well,
0: his own little racket and Still, only in his early 20s. Right, okay, so maybe the first application of the uh, definitive bully in there. Oh, absolutely, and uh, he ran
1: a tight ship, there was no doubt. Even from an early age, his ships were absolutely well run, and he didn't take... uh, Any nonsense from his crew, Uh, if they didn't uh, follow an order, uh, literally, uh, he would beat
0: them. And he was a big guy, even from an early age. The story of Bully Hayes, William Hayes, became notorious throughout the Pacific and has many stories surrounding New Zealand maritime history as well in the 1800s. We'll take a break, come back very shortly. You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. Outside is with Jared Hindmarsh, William Bully Hayes, Pirate of the Pacific. He's applied his trade with US Navy, and he's joined up with the Chinese Navy as a bit of a mercenary. Now he's running a protection racket in a pirate buccaneering way. There's killing of 25 Chinese pirates without a
1: trial, that seems to be true, but he ends up back in San Francisco. He had a bit of money now. Um, he'd been scrawling away protection money, and he bought an uh, ex-whaler called the Otranto, He carted some timber from Monterey, and then he headed back to Hong Kong, always looking for a cargo. Now, he started carting indentured labour from Suatau, which is Shantau now in China, to Singapore, and these became the coolies, of course, where they were required, and it was slavery in a way, and they'd be kept in pens before they were headed out, and they were herded onto the ship, and the captains were often quite cruel to them. They were sort of used as cool, for building the railroad and various infrastructure but basically Hayes was learning to become a blackbirder. You know these blackbirders that would go around the Pacific and persuade islanders to get on board and take them to plantations and basically they were sold as slaves and this is where he did his apprenticeship. He was a very hard captain so he was considered the right man to cart these coolies around. He used to drink heavily he was often seen in the Victoria a hotel in Hong Kong he'd play billiards there and get outrageously drunk but he befriended virtually all the opium clipper captains and he managed to trade up a ship and he he had a beautiful little American clipper called the Canton now where did he get the money for the second ship you know these ships would be a couple of thousand pounds usually well of course he had been carting coolies he used to get 1200 pounds a load for them but one uh, incredible Quite incredible incident. He managed to catch a notorious American pirate called Eli bogs. Now there was a bounty on his head around the South China Sea. He was an interesting sort of pirate. He was a dandy looking young captain of sorts, effeminate even described as. But he was totally cruel, this little pirate. He, He once captured some Chinese traders and then he sent one of them ashore, cut up into pieces in a basket to hurry up the ransom. Now Hayes got a tip-off. This was in 1855, from a clipper captain as to Boggs' uh, whereabouts. Now, Hayes immediately reported it to a Royal Navy gunboat captain, and together with the captain of the gunboat and his own ship, the two craft set off immediately the next morning. After some very skilful manoeuvring, Hayes managed to get the pirate fleet—there was about 12 boats—into shallow water, and it caused to ground. It was a very skillful manoeuvre on Hayes' part. You know, we're only talking about a 25 or 26 year old here, and Hayes led the charge. How was his ship armed
0: in order to be a threat?
1: Well, Hayes hardly was armed at all, but the pirate ships, they were sort of like um, European ships with junk sails, but they were quite well armed with small cannon, and they also had, uh, though all the crew were armed with pistols and swords and even muzzle-loading rifles. Anyway, Hayes led the charge in a cutter, straight into them. There were cannonballs and f- flaming stink pots exploding all around him and it was incredible that he made it but anyway a lucky shot from the um, bittern that was covering him blew up Boggs' ship where he was on and the pirate jumped overboard and Hayes went straight after him there was a frantic struggle on the beach and he apprehended him now the pirate had a sword but Hayes didn't and Hayes managed to overpower him and it was a heroic act Hayes got a thousand dollar bounty from this but it also said that he actually got all the pirate treasure that they were carrying as well he made sure of that now Hayes did what he usually did he mortgaged his ship to buy a new cargo he just sort of leveraged his money if you like and he did what he did for the next virtually 18 ships he mortgaged them on credit and never repaid it he carted his cargo down, I think, to Java. He, he resold it. He didn't pay his debt that he'd actually clocked up for this new cargo. The Pacific was a big place, and he, he had an endless number of opportunities really and he was entirely convincing in those early days. He had a brave reputation that preceded him and and at first he had no trouble getting credit and he used it to his absolute maximum advantage. He was a very heavy duty captain as I said. He, he got his nickname from the treatment of his crew. There was actually one account I read that has him coming on deck to find his helmsman one or sort of half a point of the compass off course. Now, he just went into a rage and he picked him up by the neck and the belt and one hand on each and he throws him off the upper deck and the the poor seaman, he had broken arm and two ribs and a smashed in face and uh, Hayes yells out, that'll teach you to steer right the next time. His crew were always terrified of him. Anyway, he expanded himself south and his sights turned to Australia and he arrived in Fremantle as captain of the um, CW Bradley and of course another ship he'd got on credit hadn't paid anyone and he, he carted passengers around to Adelaide. The passengers that he had weren't ordinary ones they were all convicts with conditional pardons virtually on parole. The authorities, they immediately saw red that he was carting around these convicts. The sort of law was... Starting to catch up with him, and the Singapore ships chandlers that he'd clocked up a huge amount of credit with, they caught up with him there, and they had a writ to seize to seize his ship, and he was bankrupted. But you know, it didn't slow <laughs> slow him down one bit, Graham. He he would just carry on to the credit scam, and get another ship, and there to have distinguished career behind him that he cited, and and he had this booming voice in a very convincing manner, and it seemed. Like like there was no end of the people he could
0: con what word just didn't get around or he was a con well man? I
1: think it was it was certainly starting to get around but each time he would put down um, security and, and sign things but really it hadn't really caught up with him that much yet and he managed to get married in Australia yeah, he did. He married a widow from the Clare Valley, Amelia Ham- um, Littleton. Her name was in 1857. But he was already a bigamist. He'd married previously in the states, and and almost certainly twice. But anyway it didn't stop him and uh, often between his um, voyages in Asia he would have these so-called brown girls on board but he clocked up heaps of debts in Adelaide and he moved to Melbourne and he convinced a ship owner there to take control of another ship and he sailed to Vancouver. Now he was thrown off that in Honolulu after being charged with swindling passengers. He was getting twice the money from them before they'd leave port. He would uh, claim they hadn't quite paid right and a lot of them complained and straight after that uh, after being charged in Honolulu he was captaining the brig uh, its cargo entirely obtained by fraud he abandoned his wife Amelia in San Francisco and then he lost that ship off the um, Navigator Islands and then he managed to evade a charge of a decently assaulting a 15-year-old passenger on board. He lost his ship it was a shipwreck yeah, a shipwreck, but he uh, managed to get to shore. He had quite a few shipwrecks in his life, but he picked up again within like a week or two. It was astounding. He didn't sort of hang around. He was immediately looking for a new cargo, a new boat, and where he could go next. And there was one girl um, on the ship who also um, survived. She pressed a charge of um, decently assaulting her, a 15-year-old passenger, but the charge never stuck against him, actually. And uh, anyway, he lost lost ship after ship, either in storms or with creditors, but he always managed, Graham to find a new one to command, always fill it with cargo, which he fraudulently acquired and sold as well.
0: So how did he get to New
1: Zealand? When did he get to New Zealand? It was interesting. It sort of starts back in Australia, and he became a member of a blackface minstrel troupe in New South Wales, and he sailed for Otago in 1862 too but his reputation had sort of started to precede him now and and a shipping reporter actually was waiting on the wharf holding a melbourne newspaper describing the swindle of passengers about the australian coast and and hayes had sort of brushed him off curtly and that was actually the end of the matter but he'd, he was associating with this minstrel troupe they were the buckingham family he'd come out with them and they were booked to play at the theatre royal in dunedin and he joined in with them and he saw an opportunity to expand his operatic career. (laughs) It was quite sort of out of character in some way but they didn't get good reviews as one review in the Otago paper said, not of a class that is desirable and it should not be repeated at the Theatre Royal elsewhere that may get a fair amount of
0: support. Ah, Well that's a brave reviewer isn't it? Because (laughs) who knows what the reaction of Bully Hayes might have been.
1: Yeah and the Buckingham family now he sort of towed along with them and he toured the hotels of the goldfields and you know when you think about some of these hotels and some of these towns they were all jammed together and they could take their pick of which hotel they were going to play in and they were far more appreciated by the miners than in the theatre royal of course they played in places like hindon and dunstan and there was terrible travelling um in between through snow mud and potholes and hayes became almost like this overseer if you like.
0: Overseer of
1: what? Oh the overseer of this group. Almost a bit like their manager. He was soft on the widow too. You mean he fancied her? Yeah basically yeah. They finally settled on a terrace near the Arrow River. Now this is Arrow Town of course. This is where Hayes managed to actually become a proprietor of the hotel and he probably even constructed it and solely owned it too. He called it the United States, this hotel. It later became the Prince of Wales. Now, it was sort of in one of those American-themed hotels, and it appealed to a lot of the diggers from California. It was described as 60 feet by 30 feet with sod walls, and it had a calico roof over sapling frame, so you can sort of imagine what it was like. Like uh, we have Irish theme pubs today yeah exactly and rosa buckingham she joined him there and they seem to have got together now there's no record of a legal marriage but she certainly um started calling herself mrs hayes at this time but it would have been bigamous without a doubt because he had three other wives around the world okay. and no
0: re- no record of any divorces all right we'll take a break when we return more outrageous stories from this character, the notorious Captain Hayes. Uh, The book is by Joan Druitt. She's done a tremendous biography on him, the remarkable true story of William Bully Hayes, Pirate of the Pacific. And when we return, The Escapades in New Zealand. Curiosity not only killed the cat, it spawned a whole radio show. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless, on Radio Live. Outsiders with Jared Hindmarsh. Today, Captain Hayes, a very, very tough man, a con man, a swindler, an opera singer, fancies himself as uh, a bit of a theatrical star. He's in New Zealand. uh, He's been married who knows how many times now, but he's gotten married again, and he's started up a pub with his vaudeville group in Arrowtown. This just sounds nuts, and it's been a while since he's been on the water, Jared.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, Arrowtown's The Scene uh, are one of the most enduring stories about Hayes. It happened in 1863. Now, an American um, story had come out some years previously, History of a Consummate Scoundrel, it was called, about Hayes, and it began circulating around the town. Now, it was talked about that he had only one ear, and this is why he kept his hair long. And the story said that he'd been either bitten off in a fight, uh, in a card game, or that uh, the reason he'd actually uh, had it sliced off with a bowie knife is because he'd been found cheating with several cards up his sleeve. This was consummate justice, of course. Apparently, they'd wanted to lynch him, but anyway, his ear was sliced off with a knife. Now, the Buckingham family, now these were the kids, they had started to get very upset. Hayes had lured in their good-hearted mother and there was no doubt about it that she was a soft touch really and she was helping and providing all the labour and everything for this and the kids had actually started up this. They been involved in this theatre across the road which was becoming the competition. Now when they heard about the rumour, they were ecstatic and they went around every barber in town and offered five pounds to anyone if Hayes came in that they would cut his hair short and so reveal his ear. The offer was quickly taken up, within days actually, and Hayes went around the town with a buccaneer scarf thing on his head and much to everyone's derision in the town and of course, the Buckingham boys made sure everyone knew about it.
0: So he did go to the barber and he got his hair cut short. Well, he didn't want to. Just to give me a trim, he said. Yeah.
1: Um, and the barber just went, phoong,
0: took it off. Oh, good God. And so that's that actually brave barber. You could cop a left hook even from an ordinary gold miner for that sort of oh. thing. Could you ever? I'm astounded, actually, that
1: anyone took up that offer. When people laughed out loud and all around town, you know, imagine those sort of hardened miners. He would rant and rave and threaten to shoot them. But Why are they laughing? Well, because the story had been the hottest thing in town from this American story to say why he'd lost his ear. And suddenly now he couldn't hide it anymore.
0: But he had this bandana on. The
1: the Buckingham boys made sure everyone knew why he was wearing the bandana now right. and why the barber had cut his hair off for a princely sum of five pounds. Hayes took it very personally. He's threatening to shoot people all left, right, and centre, but his Achilles heel had been seriously uncovered. And it wasn't the end of it. The Buckingham boys turned it into a comic farce called The Barbarous Barber, and this was acted throughout the town and province. They made a fortune out of it, and believe it or not, it became so popular that they managed to charge 10 shillings a cover charge, which was equivalent to, like, $100 today. It's like going to Madonna concert or something. And Hayes would turn up to the performance ranting and raving and saying that he'd personally deal to anyone going in, but he'd be so rushed by the crowds trying to get in that that he just didn't have a chance. And the result was Hayes was embarrassed out of town and he basically he left town on the height of this rumour and the subsequent derision delivered through the show it was really his come down in new zealand it really was out of all the places in the world he found his come down but anyway the good-natured rosa despite it being her kids who delivered the blow she stayed with him and they ended up in littleton and they basically fled together and he possibly wheeled and dealed to get another hotel there. Rosa by this time was pregnant and they had a daughter called Aladia but according to Joan Druitt they headed for Australia then and then Newcastle and, and after a failed ship deal you know his reputation had preceded him and they heard he was coming there was even an ad placed in the front page of the Newcastle Chronicle about him the day he arrived disclaiming legal action against him It was a funny one, someone said, I never meant to bring legal action against Hayes, I regret it, as if Hayes was going to take out revenge upon this person. But once people realised that he'd landed, there were court demands for debt, they just piled up and Hayes fought everyone in court, but he nearly lost them all too. Yet it didn't stop him acquiring another ship, didn't pay the bill of course, and he slipped out of the harbour one night and he sailed to New Zealand destination um, Littleton but he is a huge gale and he got blown to Auckland and he they they lost three big sails over three days and they spent 12 days making the repairs in Auckland and several um, seamen jumped ship of course at this stage and then he um, shipped out again and he left a string of debts in Auckland refitting the ship every newspaper in New Zealand published warning stories about Captain Hayes again you know and the Otago Daily Times there was an editorial actually on the 23rd of August 1864, it said, The short and easy method of avoiding debts by taking advantage of the first fair wind for sea has been more than once adopted in Port Otago. The ploys used by debt-dogging shipmasters had often been strange and inventive and had been equally often met with success. One case in point is that of the well-known captain Hayes, who has recently taken his departure with a small craft, the Black Diamond, the possession by which he had by some means obtained, and to have done this without the ordinary courtesy of bidding goodbye to friends ashore. Who supplied him during their stay. So every paper now was warning about him. Now um, tragedy struck it was definitely New Zealand that dealt him a few bad blows but tragedy struck when he sailed into Creusel's Harbour. Now this is close to Admiralty Bay between Nelson and Derville Island. Now Hayes needed a a sheltered harbour to do some repairs and uh, there was a station owner there called William Askew and he, he, he rode by the ship. He'd heard that Rosa's friend Elizabeth Rankin was staying at his house and somehow word had got out that Rosa was on and Rosa wanted to pay this woman a visit so Askew loaned his little yacht to Hayes so they could go and visit her and and off they went and basically it was just a social jaunt now they took the baby and their 15 year old maid servant that was the nurse for the baby who was also on board and also Rosa's brother a George Buckingham. The um, tragedy struck when they were halfway there across the bay and they were struck by a squall. They could see it coming and the sails flapped back and and suddenly the boat overturned and all of them were in the water. Now, the maid drowned first and um, George Buckingham was last seen striking out for some um, shoals and Hayes called out to him to take the baby take the baby but he just ignored it he was out to save himself and so he put the baby over his shoulder as he was floundering around and he grasped Rosa and tried to make for sure using two floating oars but they were heavily dressed of course as they used to in these big boots. Now once he realised it was the baby was probably drowned he he said to his wife Rosie, Rosie, sissy's gone, and no response from the woman, so he he just pressed the baby against the mother's face, and he felt like said goodbye, and he let the baby float off. Now, Rosa was in a very bad way, and and sort of dropping below the water, and really, it's only Hayes and his wife now. Now, um, it's uh, as the newspaper report later said, um, death visited her also, so... The wife died as well. So Hayes was the only survivor of that terrible incident and he discarded her, her body too and just to make to the rocks and he was totally exhausted and he finally made it to shore and he, he climbed some rocks and he, he managed to um, signal out to his crew and who low, lowered a boat from the Black Diamond and they rescued him now, Arthur um, Elmsley of French Pass. He was the sort of settler of French Pass. He raised the alarm and a Search party came from Nelson and they looked for the bodies, but only the baby's corpse was ever found. The Black Diamond crew—they raised the yacht. They found a coat of the brother, but that was about it, really. Now. This incident was headlines all around New Zealand but it also was in Australia too and it got very widely reported just within a matter of days and the boat's mortgages of course knew exactly now where the boat was and so they issued instructions to Captain William Ackiston. Now he was a a well-known Nelson ship chandler and actually there's a street in Nelson Ackiston Street down by the port named after him and he, he was given the instructions by the Insurers and the boat's owners to tell Hayes to come up with the money or to surrender the boat and then seize it if he couldn't. Ackiston he uh, was a very meticulous man he was very well known in Nelson, he had a great reputation and he picked five strong men of the best workers he had. They were sworn in as constables by the resistant magistrate and they headed to uh, Creusel's Harbour on a steamboat the next morning and they, they're checking all the inlets and bays and they finally sighted the um, black diamond just holed in a little harbour of a bay. They waited quietly until 3am and then they'd actually towed a little whaler behind them and they um, sneaked up on the boat at 3am in the morning and they clambered aboard now. Captain Hayes, he was onto it and he'd heard um, noises and so he came straight up and absolutely belligerent. Ackiston presented his documents and Hayes refused to cooperate at all. So Ackiston ordered his men to take the windlass, Hayes suddenly grabbed an axe and he tried to fight them, there was a huge scuffle and he was tied to the pin rail. So basically the ship had been arrested, the game was over and the ship was sailed back to Nelson where it got sold for 300 pounds. Now Hayes was questioned intimately by the police in Nelson. And there had been rumours some of his previous shipgirls had disappeared without a trace. The baby was even re-exhumed and examined by a Nelson surgeon, but there were no charges. The
0: final result was really the coroner's report were accidental drowning. And we've got accusations that he's murdered people and uh, they've gone away without a trace.
1: Little more than rumours, really. But shipgirls did disappear from his boats. There was no doubt about it. Just disappeared but there was never any evidence that could be brought against him. But this was brought up by the police, and they just wanted to make sure that there had been no foul play in this incident. But, you know, they had nothing against him, and the boat had been seized, Uh, everything legally had been done. Hayes was basically free to go. He borrowed a few shillings out of pity for his loss, and he he left Nelson after losing two cases while he was there for payment of wages and support flies around him he just dogged him everywhere but he headed back down to Christchurch I I can't find any kind of remorse in any of the stories Graham I must say well
0: so he wasn't convicted he got away with it
1: totally well there was nothing to convict him all they could do was seize the ship he hadn't actually done anything too illegally anyway he headed down to Christchurch and back into the business of managing a theatre troupe down there and back up to Wellington and reports came out in every newspaper about him and, and, uh, and and you know, they were sort of like the notorious Captain Hayes again, a case of abduction. There was one report and it was rewriting this drowning scandal where only he survived and all under dubious circumstances. The rumours were flying, but he was avoiding any legal proceedings proceedings against him and he managed to get a cut under false pretenses again and he he even arrived and picked in the same day one of the stories front page came out in the Marlborough Express about him. Didn't seem to slow him down at all. He um, remarried again, Um, this time Emily Butler her name was and they had twin daughters and possibly a son. They ended up living in Samoa actually but he, he started to really make a living out of blackbirding and gun running and alcohol smuggling around the islands. He was investigated
0: continuously by American and British authorities, but nothing really stuck,
1: Oh, well,
0: we'll take our last break and come back with what happened to the notorious Captain Hayes very shortly. Life, Life. the universe and everything in between. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Outsiders with Jared Heinmarsh, his name William Bully Hayes, originally from the USA, but has been part of outrageous escapades, blackbirding, buccaneering, con jobs and this is in the 1800s. A lot of his escapades in New Zealand. Now he's found himself in the Pacific accused of basically slave shipping, stuffed at it with grog. He can't keep himself out of trouble but strangely enough he seems like Teflon, immune to being either convicted or getting any great comeuppance. Yeah and sort of operated in the Pacific almost with immunity became
1: notorious for his um, activities as a blackbirder and this was predominantly involved kidnapping and coercion and tricks to entice islanders onto his ship in which he were held prisoner until delivered to their plantation destinations but he certainly made good money and he, he um, purchased another uh, brigantine he had a, another couple of shipwrecks actually <laughs> and then he purchased another schooner the atlantic another ship the brig the pioneer he argued with one Piers, there was another owner. He often got a sort of partner and on board, but he argued about the ownership of the cargo with him and he, Hayes claimed the cargo was hidden and Piers was merely carrying it as freight. But Piers had different ideas and Hayes ended up selling the cargo in Shanghai, actually. There was some suspicion because Pierce just disappeared. What happened to Hayes after that's really uncertain, but when he got back to Apia, Hayes was in sole command with an explanation for his change in command being that Pierce had sold the ship to Hayes and had retired to China, but there was actually no record of what happened to Pierce. He got into a contract. There was going to be a big breakout in the Philippines of convicts, and he was commissioned to take these convicts once they escaped. Now, he was actually caught by the American authorities. He ended up nine months in a Filipino jail, but in the end, he escaped It was quite incredible. He got out, he coerced his way out. He uh, met a a bit of a bloody end, I must say. His last boat was the Lotus. And after arriving in Apia, in Samar on the um, 2nd of January 1877, he sailed on to um, what's now Micronesia. Uh, he intended to collect coconuts left at the time of one of his wrecks, actually. He was uh, absolutely sure they were still sailable. He was going back to collect them and other cargoes. He had an altercation with one of his crew. Um, this was on the 1st of April 1877, and it was the ship's cook. Nickname was... Dutch Pete, his uh, real name was Peter Redneck. He'd been asked to take the helm of the boat. Now, Hayes was very particular about the way a ship was steered and he came out and noticed that the cook was slightly off course. Well, he got into a huge fight with him and Hayes had absolutely insisted that he come back on course. He'd went downstairs and Dutch Pete must have simmered over this. When Hayes came back up, he was attacked by Radick, and he possibly was shot with a revolver and struck on the skull with an iron bar. Now the first mate and uh, Radick obviously they had him unconscious on the boat or maybe even dead and they just threw him overboard. That was the end of Bully Hayes. When they got back to the Marshall Islands, they gave a statement account of the death of Bully Hayes. And, you know, no one was even concerned. There was no authorities concerned about it. In fact, Dutch Pete was treated as a hero.
0: Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It was like finally rid of this alpha male of all alpha males. He should have been dead many times over. Billy Hayes. Yeah.
1: And as one editor put it, he'd betrayed all his trust and rumour said he had committed murder. Indeed, it is evident that it could only be at the point of a pistol. He or any other man like him could keep his crew in order. You know, and so it was that he died, really. But the stories about him just continued to be repeated and, and expounded and, and expanded as well. And there's still a huge number of things named after him. You know, especially in Federated Micronesia, they, you know, they've even issued a postage stamp the Bully Hayes the Buccaneer in 1986 And in Cosray International Airport. It's called the Bully Hayes Airport. And, and you know, even here too, the big flagstaff on Signal Hill in Dunedin is, supposedly the mast of one of his pirate ships, the Cincinnati. And, you know, Hawaii, there's the Bully Hayes Club and Fiji, the Bully Hayes Cold Beer. And Cleveland, there's a beer named after him too. You know, he's even got his own um, Facebook page thanks to a bar in Akaroa. And people still look for treasure that he supposedly buried in um, Suwaro and Nui and Cosray. Uh, yachties still go there. They still have competition about it and stuff and you know his uh, reputation has followed him continuously all around the pacific right up around asia definitely into america and down to new zealand what a legacy graham
0: yeah what a character uh, a tough one to run into and he probably ruined a few lives as well but, you know, these alpha males do get celebrated for, um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> brave. They got balls, haven't they? Yeah, oh, definitely. If anyone had balls, it was him.
1: And in 47 years, he clocked up a huge amount of adventure and basically the biggest scoundrel I've ever read about.
0: All right. And we've got to give a salute to Joan Jewett's book, The Notorious Captain Hayes. Do check it out at the bookstore. Gerard Hindmarsh, thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Graham. Great story.